This is Locking Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. This week, we're going to talk about last week, starting with the news. On the Malwarebytes Labs blog, we found a sneaky attack that hit itself in the first few letters of a URL. Hackers impersonated Cloudflare's Rocket Loader, a library that improves load time, and registered a new URL that began not with HTTPS, but with HTTP.PS. In place of the library was a credit card skimmer. P.S. If this attack ever hits your local public library, hopefully it's more obvious. Also, with COVID-19 ascending to a global pandemic, we looked at cybersecurity conferences around the world that are now either delayed, canceled, or moved to virtual, a task that is actually a lot harder than it sounds. Speaking of COVID-19, its rapid spread last week pushed many companies into deploying a work-from-home policy for employees. We advised businesses on ways to prioritize remote security during these times, including the use of VPNs, cloud-based platforms, and virtual IT support teams. As to how Americans are handling working from home, well, this podcast is coming to you from my living room. For International Women's Day, we analyzed how we protect against a digital threat called stalkerware that can lead to violence against women. Stalkerware, which is typically installed on mobile phones, is detected by Malwarebytes as either belonging to the monitor or spyware category. From March 2019 to 2020, we recorded more than 55,000 detections of monitoring apps on Android user devices. Sadly, that's about 10,000 more than we saw last year. In the spyware category, we saw about 1,400 detections. Finally, we looked at the good, the bad, and the ugly when choosing cybersecurity vendors for managed service providers. Good vendors deliver well-targeted services in a timely, accurate, and relevant manner. Bad vendors miss out on at least one of those three. And ugly vendors haven't hired a graphic designer. Kidding! Uh, They're much worse than that and likely have a matching reputation, so just ask your team. They'll know. In cybersecurity news across the world... The FBI warned that hackers are targeting Office 365 and Google G Suite users with business email compromise attacks. Remember, if your CEO sends you a strangely worded email request for thousands of dollars in iTunes gift cards, don't do it. Even if it's legitimate, don't do it. ZDNet reported that the old computer worm Conficker, which peaked in 2009, is making a comeback on Internet of Things devices. Why, Alexa? Why? Researchers at Proofpoint revealed some real scum-of-the-earth tactics from hackers who were fooling victims into opening emails that promised HIV test results. You know, let's just hope that karma's a bitch, okay? TechCrunch wrote that the mobile therapy company Talkspace allegedly threatened to sue a cybersecurity researcher for finding a bug in their website. That just goes to show, if there's a fly in your restaurant soup... Don't say anything, because you might get sued. Wait, no, no. Forbes told readers that, based on independent research from AV Test, Google's Play Protect Scan tool only detected about a third of tested malware samples. You know who does a better job at protecting against malware, though? <coughs> oh, malware bites. Believing Computer warned readers about a new phishing scam targeting users in Russia that utilizes a chatbot. The chatbot asks users for their name, address, payment details, and the last four digits of their passport number, which, wow, you know, talk about customer service. In an exclusive, CNET reported that about 76,000 fingerprint records were left exposed on the internet. The solution, 
Never touch anything. Ever. Especially your face right now. A small detente between Google and Microsoft ended when Google finally explained why it warned users about the supposed incompatibility of Microsoft's updated Edge browser. The problem had to do with Microsoft's decision to not use Google's safe browsing feature. You know who else provides a safe browser option? (laughs) Malwarebytes. Beta News reported that shortly after Microsoft accidentally revealed a critical SMB vulnerability, the company published a new advisory on how to fix it. Hey, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Finally, the security blog found a new phishing campaign that targets users in France with bogus emails about disruptions in Netflix service. The threat, of course, is that you won't be able to browse for two hours until you fall asleep on the couch. Our main story today concerns managed service providers, the unseen IT and cybersecurity backbone for thousands of businesses today. IT needs like server infrastructure, cloud computing, data and cybersecurity, and work machine management are necessary to run a company. But for small businesses, those same needs might be a roadblock. Think about it. Your dentist, your optometrist, a volunteering organization with a five-person staff, all these folks need IT support, but maybe they can't afford someone in-house. So they turn to service providers who spread across the world provide remote support for literally thousands of clients at a time. Of course, this comes with its own set of obstacles. Consider how hard it is to train your staff not to click on a phishing email. Now consider multiplying that attack service by hundreds, thousands. To help us better understand this industry, its future, and its daily boots-on-the-ground challenges, we're talking to two representatives of an Atlanta-based managed service provider in the long-term care industry. Now, because managed service providers, or MSPs, make appealing targets to threat actors, we are protecting this MSP's name and the last names of our guests. We have David, Manager, Engineering Services, and Ashley, Data Center Architect. Folks, Welcome to the show. To start, can you tell us about what you both do? I'll let you go ahead first on that one, Ashley. So as we call it around here, I'm in charge of the castle, which is our data centers. And that's the responsibility of the well-being of the hardware and the operational elements, such as power and cooling for those infrastructure components, as well as design and scaling the infrastructure to continue the growth and agility that our customers need. Gotcha. Yeah. And David, what about you? I handle all the antivirus, malware, and Windows updates for all of our nodes. All right. Yeah, thank you. And with that, right, let's just get right into it. Just give us an understanding of your business. What do you folks do as a business? Also get us to understand, you know, how many clients you work with, how large you are, things like that. Sure. Our primary business is hosting. Right now, our primary objective with that is the healthcare, long-term healthcare. So that includes skilled nursing, assisted living, retirement homes in general. We also have a division that is responsible for applications uh, in the time and attendance field for commercial industries. And do you have a number that you give out just on roughly how many clients you work with? We've got roughly a little over 50 clients currently, and we manage around 15 to 16,000 nodes of workstations and servers. So... When you say nodes, is that, you know, that's laptops, cell phones, tablets? What is that? That is workstations, which would be laptops, desktops, and servers. Also help us understand, this is pretty broad here, how cybersecurity plays a role in the many things that you folks do. 
It's a very important role because everything has to be protected, uh, especially in the healthcare industry. We've got multiple layers of protection. You've got the firewall protection. You've got the on-premise protection, which would be antivirus or malware bytes installed on the machine. You've got mobile protection for mobile devices. And Ashley could probably speak more into the data center and firewall side of it. Yeah, and as David said, multiple layers of security is one of the keys. I know that most people see at their home or in a small business, they have a firewall or a router with some security services running on it. But Mm -hmm. at a data center level, it it has to be multiple layers deep. So that starts with things at our perimeter security, which will be firewalls that have intrusion prevention detection systems. Then that will pass into interior firewalls that will also have intrusion detection and prevention systems. And then paired with that, we isolate different network components. So there's a production network that handles the the client traffic, which uses a series of particular network protocols that isolate those customers into parallel universes, as I call it. And then we have a separate management backup network that's out of band to that environment that's effectively behind the scenes to operational of that gear. So if anything were to happen in the production environment, it would maintain isolation between our backup management domain. Wow. There's a lot of moving parts. Like, that's what it sounds like, if I'm getting that correct. I'm curious, what helps you in performing all of these tasks? What has helped your daily workload? Because when I hear something like that, I can't imagine managing all of that just by myself. So I'm curious, again, yeah, what has helped your daily workload? What makes your job accomplishable? Well, we have we have separate teams that help with different aspects of that. One of the things I forgot to mention was that we also have email security. We've got filtering on the, on the email. So we've got networking team. We've got architect team. We've got an email exchange team. We've got uh, antivirus team. We have a malware bytes team. Ashley, am I missing any? We have a separate applications team as well. I think if we recap what David just said, we departmentalize the various responsibilities. So between the antivirus to malware to applications to email to AD to network, all of those separate teams work together. And we pair that with various management platforms that consolidate all of that input that we receive from the respective devices. So, yeah, as David was saying, you know, for us to manage 15 thousand devices across an entire network, which not only include the data centers, we have multiple data centers, but also all of the site devices and those that are off network. So that would include people who travel, field service, crews, corporate people at those client locations that would travel. We need to make sure we observe their devices, that they don't get something from afar and bring it back on network as well. And so dashboards from various vendor products, we present those onto various large screens within the departmental areas of the building to provide us a a real-time view of simple things like up and down, what's up, what's down. We look at our hosted server environment. So we see our utilization, who's our top 100 devices that are consuming various resources, what's running low on storage, what's undersized or what's oversized. And then we have a half of a display that's just dedicated to security elements. So that gives us a real-time view of what's knocking on the front door, what we've stopped coming from the front door, and then any particular alerts, we start getting those ingress through email, and then the serious items also get simultaneously notified to our phones through a text or push notification in order for us to understand all that 
information? Where are we focusing? So just as our our as the human mind has a consciousness to provide us the direct interest of what is the important thing to look at, what is the important thing to listen for, these platforms consolidate that data and then present it to us in a way. And you know, one big portion of it is also tuning those environments, making sure that they're only feeding us the significant. And then we have separate products that are observing through more or less an AI type architecture. It's basically a collection of algorithms. AI is kind of a fun word to use these days, mm-hmm. but effectively yeah. it's it's taking that anomalous data. So mm-hmm. somebody that may normally log in and have, uh, as humans being creatures of habit, will see, you know, perpetual motion of these habitual items. And then if we see something go astray, say a user trying to log into something they never have before, we'll get an alert for that and say, is that okay or mm-hmm. not? Sometimes we have to dig a little further, but most of the time we know, oh, it's a new device. You know, it was anticipated that that would be a, an occurring item and therefore we can, we, do, we don't have to dedicate a lot of time into that effort. But certainly I think the issue is how much information is being fed all the time, right? When 20 years ago, there was probably a fraction of the information that we receive today from all of the electronic devices that we have in our possession. And now we're, we're inundated with it. There is a careful line of squelch, if you will, between where the noise floor is of just the entropy of operation to when do we need to be aware of something that is significant to bring to human attention for either mitigation or acknowledgement that it can be taught to the AI products to identify that that's normal behavior, abnormal behavior. Yeah, yeah. So things like that, trying to find abnormal behavior, trying to find, you know, problems, red flags, let's call them. Before there were these AI capabilities, was that just done by people? Was that just human analysis? How did that work? Yeah, just within the last decade plus, largely even hundreds of million dollar facilities were semi-automatically operated by humans. They were constantly looking at the behavior of systems or bruising logs to determine those things and using somewhat, I wouldn't say crude, but certainly more primitive methods to observe that, right? Whether it's a script that goes in and looks for keyword elements or similar. The advancement of computational ability paired with the fact that we've now been able to develop machine learning as a human race with our technology. Mm-hmm. We're able to teach the machines to go look for the things that we might otherwise get tired of looking at on a consistent basis where they can obviously turn it 24-7. Yeah. You've mentioned a bit how about how all of these tools are definitely helping you in your day-to-day. And I'm also curious for areas that these tools can't reach. And what I mean here is sort of human behavior. And I'm I'm curious, what role does user behavior and awareness play, right? How critical is it that, you know, the individuals who are owning the, the machines that you manage, that they understand just basic cybersecurity hygiene? And what happens if, if that understanding is absent? Well, I'd say probably the weakest link is the end user. They can click on things or navigate to places that may have a man-in-the-middle attacks or some sort of exploit that hasn't been patched on a system yet, either because it's not known or it just hasn't been patched yet. We try to send out as many emails as we can to our user base to educate them on what to look for in these type of emails, what type of links to stay away from in type in emails where you can see there's a misspelling or maybe the grammar is not correct in the email when they're asking for 
urgent or immediate action to be done, those types of red flags. We try to educate our users, but it doesn't always work. There is still occasions where users will click on the hmm. wrong thing or open up a file that they should not have opened. Hmm. And then that sets off all sorts of bells and alarms, depending on what systems that that went through. And then we act upon those as they come about. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you two share with us uh, just a couple of stories? Let's take one story where there's just a, a huge success, however you would define it, right? Uh, and that could be someone's machine was infected or, or they clicked that link and you found out, you know, within seconds or, or you saw, you know, your AI software was able to find out like, oh, this is a, able to forward to someone, this is a unusual login. What was something that you two were proud of that you folks were able to help a client with? I'll go first with this one. A few years back, ransomware was pretty prevalent and antivirus vendors were slow to, I guess, make the changes needed to beat the changing, the way that the ransomware was changing how viruses were being detected. The hash base rule wasn't working anymore because the viruses would morph themselves. The ransomware variants would morph themselves to have a different hash each time they tried to infect a different computer. And that was very frustrating for a while because we did have to go through some of those instances. And McAfee was who we were using at that time or who we still use at that time. And we were unable to stop or catch the infections with with traditional means. So I ended up creating some special rules that looked for the particular files that the ransomware variants were creating on the computers. And with those rules, I was able to stop infections before they were actually able to take hold and encrypt large portions of client data. Ransomware can encrypt files up to, you know, 700 files a minute, depending on the speed of the network and the speed of the machine that's um, being used to process the encryption that's being infected. So that was a major win on my side and for our company before the antivirus provider McAfee upgraded and, you know, started using the AI and, and the new technologies that help to stop and prevent ransomware before it even starts. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting and great stuff. Ashley, do you also have something that you're proud of the work that you folks are able to accomplish? Absolutely. So we do have some clients that we onboarded not too long ago where they were from a previous hosting facility and they came on board and some of their equipment was either leased or wasn't able to carry over or well outdated. And we were able to deploy a modern security solution product onto premise and almost Instantly, within hours, we started identifying threat vectors that were inside as well as outside of their environment. And it dramatically improved their performance once we were able to identify these mechanisms that were from the inside causing problems, as well as being able to stop a lot of the things that they were completely oblivious to from the outside world that were, were coming in on the front door. And in fact, one of the things that uh, the network team was was proud of demonstrating was that through several firewalls at their sites, they were able to see ransomware attacks were being mitigated immediately. And the client was able to provide that information to them. And they were not only surprised, but very grateful that they made the investment. They felt better that the investment was well spent towards knowing that moving forward, they are able to sleep better at night and not worry about the same characteristics, which I think is what the big factor for managed services are to the customer. They want to know indirectly that someone else is in control of protecting them, that there are not just machines that run basic instructions to determine protection, but there's humans also making sure those machines are staying in line with the objective to 
continually protect their resources and assets. We also at the data center had an opportunity where through the multiple layers of protection services that we have, that we were able to identify and mitigate a threat within minutes of its detection. That we discovered it, I got an alert from the firewall system that we were observing an unusual behavior and we were able to go immediately isolate it to the machine that was running for that particular customer. And then within minutes from that, identify quite literally the file that they had recently inadvertently downloaded that was infected. And our AV product stopped it, our IPS product stopped it from you know, producing any more copies. And I thought that was a really great way to see the demonstration of the effort to finally solve it. It's ironic that most people put a lot of security into something, and we'll use physical security since it's more relational to people, that if you put laminated glass on your windows and you put a steel door frame and a metal door and, and deadbolts and everything else, mm-hmm. in one way, we don't want to ever see it challenged. We want to feel mm-hmm. secure because we know it is, but right. actually seeing it stop the threat is way more rewarding to know what could have been didn't happen is, I think, probably the best part of maintaining a secure environment is watching it actually stop those threats continually. I wanted to move the questions uh, to a different topic here that is uh, really close to you folks, uh, which is healthcare. You folks work in long-term care, uh, many of the clients that you support. And so what I'm curious about is, do you have to help out with securing patient data or designing or delivering solutions per U.S. healthcare law like uh, HIPAA? Oh, yes, we do. We, uh, we offer encryption for devices, so that prevents any type of data loss and data loss prevention. There are a lot of, of rules in place for access to PHI documents and files. We have different layers that has to go through. And Ashley, I'll let you continue on to that. So, yeah, HIPAA is almost a primary objective in our rule set for what we provide as services. We constantly look at every angle that we need to to maintain not only the multi-tenant structure of every customer wants the MSP to look like they're the only customer. And so (laughs) one layer is maintaining that true isolation through the various pieces of infrastructure that is shared among those tenants. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that is maintaining within those tenants the appropriate isolation of that data. So the only people in the organization that need to see the data do see that data. And that we also, as David mentioned, prevent any leakage of that data and ensure that if anything were to be compromised, such as a laptop taken from someone while they're traveling and it happened to have patient records that through those security protocols such as drive encryption, we know the data will be useless and inadvertently unavailable to access through any traditional means or or even creative means today. Yeah, got it. Again, we've talked a lot about your day-to-day. We've talked a lot about, you know, the tools you rely on, uh, the many functions that you have inside that, that help you really support, you know, truly the clients that you work with. Moving forward, I'm curious, where do the two of you think just the MSP industry is going in the future? What role does cybersecurity play in that future as well? Well, It's going to play an extremely important role in the MSP industry and and for all industries that deal with any type of medical or HIPAA or PHI information. MSPs are 
becoming a target because they're easy money for ransomware or virus writers because they have control over so many different clients. They only have to penetrate into the MSP's infrastructure and then mm-hmm. uh, they have access to uh, encrypt or hold ransom multiple clients. Mm-hmm. So MSPs going forward, security and protecting their clients and their data is going to be the utmost importance. I totally agree with David. MSPs are a growing popularity. People are taking their resources locally to a more or less cloud-labeled solution because on one hand, they want to pay for the convenience of someone else's problem to maintain those elements. But at the same time, they do produce essentially what banks are to money. They are places that would be targeted because they know where the largest stockpiles of, mm-hmm. of the data resources to either steal leak, sell, or create a ransom event for one to make money off of simply by holding their own data hostage. And it's a true vertical. If there's anything that will never go away, it's security. And it's one thing that's interesting to to think about from an internet perspective back when it first began. Everything was more or less unencrypted. Email was in clear text. HTTP, (laughs) the non-encrypted version of the World Wide Web, was commonplace. And now today, practically all protocols across the internet are in an an encrypted state of some form or fashion, an end-to-end based, whether it be a VPN or some type of TLS SSL session. Uh, It's funny to think that in the future, it's just going to be that exclusively. There there won't be a reason for anything else to exist because people will just take advantage of being able to exploit that data. So it's certainly a fascinating landscape, and it's certainly more interesting to see the battleground of those good versus evil intentions. And it doesn't help to read the articles. It's almost like watching the news. It's a little depressing to see how determined the bad guys are to just wreak havoc, to create the anarchy that's unnecessary for the world. But it's more or less what they chose as their line of work to make money or to quite literally enjoy creating chaos. And we've all kind of branded our arms with either, you know, a badge of good or evil to uh, protect it. Well, to add to that, you made a good point, actually. 20 years ago, things were a lot different when the Internet was just becoming popular. Information didn't travel as quickly as it does today. And now you've got people working together across great distances, you know, from one continent to the other, collaborating to come up with these, either white hat or the black cats. And then the black cats are finding these exploits and selling them. And before Microsoft or, you know, another vendor can patch it, it's already halfway across the world. And people are actively trying to break into these computers using these exploits that are published, you know, within a drop of the hat and all across the world. Also curious with these kinds of threats that seem to only be going up, right? And with an understanding that, like I said, MSP is, MSPs are, are sort of seen now as a sort of Fort Knox, right? They've got everyone's data, a lot, a lot of different targets in there. I'm curious, what do you think is going to make an MSP successful going into the future? Well, continuing to focus on security updates, patching, you know, with the security, you've got the antivirus, you've got to have a product like Malwarebytes uh, where you're you know, preventing the other malware types that maybe a traditional antivirus doesn't see as, as a virus. You've got your firewalls, you've got your email security. All those are going to be paramount to stay on the cutting edge and staying up to date and making sure all your systems are patched. And when you're dealing with 15,000 
nodes. I mean, you're mm-hmm. always going to have a few that maybe haven't talked in a while or there's some issue if they won't accept this update because it's not compatible with some mm-hmm. sort of driver or some mm-hmm. other you know, system that that machine might be using. Ashley, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think paired with that, when I think about when I was designing networks in the 90s mm-hmm. for um, an ISP, the first thought was how to design the scalable infrastructure and how the connectivity would be redundant and resilient. And now these days, the first thing we think about and the first thing on the discussion topic is defense. Mm-hmm. How are we going to wow. ironclad the, the outer shell before we even start working on the interior? And that, to me, is what has really changed the landscape for probably anyone in this industry as a whole, because that's now the first focus is how big of the firewalls, how many licenses for the security products, whether it be the AV or the malware or the the intrusion prevention systems, and how many layers do we want to have of those. It's certainly driven the idea of how to create the environment from the beginning versus the efforts of saying how we're going to make this big and fancy. It's more like, how are we going to survive the first attack <laughs> to make it through to the next day and then the next week and then the next year? And so with the infinite level of security requirements, it's one to think that just as we do with children and their children's children, what kind of world are we building for the next generation? And the advent of things like the AI and products that have the intelligence to self-learn will absolutely help. But as interesting as we think about how it's helping the good guys, the bad guys are using it the same way. They're using the AI tools. They're using the machine learning efforts to find different ways around it. And if there is any definition, right, we're trying to solve as humans, what's the meaning of life? There's also one related to technology. What's What's the meaning of it all if we're only trying to smash it and create it at the same time? And we live basically in the middle of that that universe. And as fascinating as it is and beautiful, it's also challenging and adventurous and cautious and lethal if you um, if you're not playing the, the the footing properly. Yeah, and to add on to that, I mean, every layer of protection that you put on, you know, you've got to have enough resources, whether, you know, you're adding an antivirus program and then another malware program onto a machine and then, you know, maybe some sort of virtual firewall. Every one of those, you know, takes resources off the machine, either slows down the machine or adds an extra hop that you've got to go through in a network mm-hmm. or the network's got to scan, you know, the packets that are going through. Yeah. And it's a, it's a balancing act, you know, you can... You can do an ironclad Fort Knox, but what's the performance going to be like on, on for the end user? Now, it's tough to get that balance where the end user can still work and be productive, but yet still be safe. David, uh, Ashley, thank you so much for being on the show today. We were thrilled to have both of you on and to learn so much about your industry and its future. To our listeners at home, we'll talk to you again soon. Tune in two weeks from now when we talk with Director of Malwarebytes Labs, Adam Kajawa, about the state of data privacy today, including third-party tracking, new laws and legislation, tips you can take to understand who has your data and why, and whether it's too late to turn this machine around.